But Mark, we're standing outside Paul Culler's house. Mm. It's a bit nippy. Yes. We're both wearing our very big coats. Yes. Um, we've got the uh, the Houses of Parliament just over there. I can, I can seagulls are chirping as they do if seagulls chirp. <laughs> exactly. Squawk. Squawk. Um, uh, why are we here? What are we doing? So this morning we're coming in to see Clive Betts. He is the long-standing chair of the wonderfully named Department of Local Government. Uh, no, I've got that wrong. Department of Local I think, I think it was once it the was Department of Local Government during his time. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's the select committee that basically shadows everything the Department for Leveling Up Communities and Housing does in its many forms and guises. So it's, its real role is to work across Parliament to look at all the different things the government says it's doing, might be doing, but also wider things such as uh, local government. What are they yeah. doing and so on. So he, and he's touching, been on, touching on because of that devolution, but yeah. also finance. And it's, it's, kind of, it's a massive brief. Isn't it's it? a big brief. And it's, it's great that somebody like Clive, who's got that long sense of experience, is actually able to do that. And he's been there for, as you say, he's been there for over a decade, hasn't he? Yeah, no, and that's quite unusual because very often what you get is you have people who maybe do it for three or four years but don't have the opportunity to do it for longer. And so the fact that he's been there as long as he has is uh, means he's a very effective select committee chair. Yeah, and I, I imagine it's probably more on the brief than most of the ministers that he... Well, he as a former I minister mean, <laughs> who's, who's appeared before him, yes, occasionally you have that n- nightmarish feeling that the, it's always dangerous when the person asking the question knows more about the subject than you do. Let's go and get a coffee and let's go and see him. Okay. Hello and welcome to EG's Office Politics with me, Piers Weiner, and Mark Prisk. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Clive Betts MP. Clive, hello. Hello there. Now some people um, who are listening to us will know exactly who you are and may in fact have given evidence, um, may even have been grilled. Mm. But for those who don't, can you give us a few words of introduction? Yeah, well I'm a Member of Parliament for Sheffield South East. I'm a Labour member and how select committees work is that the chairs of committees are distributed according to the balance of uh, parties in Parliament, mm. so mostly Conservative but some Labour. On the committees, there's always a Conservative majority, there's six Conservative members and five Labour, but we do work cross-party, so contrary to the normal um, you know, to-ing and froing and, and banter and shouting that goes on at Prime Minister's questions, Senate committees work in a different way. But I've been a Member of Parliament now for 32 years, uh, I came Chair of the Committee um, after the 2010 election, I've been there for 12 years, which I think is now a record for any MP uh, serving as chair of one select committee. Mm. I think that's that's a whole 15 housing ministers, isn't it? Uh, uh, at least, <laughs> yes, and, and several changes of departmental name as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm keeping well out of the number of housing ministers. <laughs> <in the> conversation. <laughs> yes, because you've before, been before the committee as well, Mark. I have. Of course I've been both, both, both coacher and gamekeeper. Yeah, on absolutely. Yes. Committee in, in various turns. So we'll we'll get on to that, I suspect, or I won't delve too deeply. I mean, we're currently sat in a. Is this a, this is a meeting room in um, Paul Cullis' house? Isn't it, it is. Yeah. So, what sort of business would usually go on in here? Well, uh, we have our select committee sessions sometimes in Port Collis, sometimes in the uh, main building, mm-hmm. in, in, in Parliament's main building. Uh, and it's where, of course, we have our evidence sessions where witnesses could come in front of the committee and we ask them questions. Uh, most of the time we don't rule them, unless, of course, it happens to be a government <laughs> minister. Uh, but, you know, we, we seek information uh, because parliamentary select committees work on the basis of collecting evidence and we do our reports on the basis of that evidence and that's why generally when we do reports although we are cross-party conservative and Labour members we get agreement between the members on the committee. You mentioned a bit about the sort of role and so on and so forth from your experience what do you think the main value of the the committee is in in, in the deliberations or in the role of Parliament? Uh, I, I think it is trying to get behind often what are very bland government announcements of, mm. of great things they're doing, because mm. uh, all governments do great things, they according do. to their own words. Uh, and so it's, it's probing behind um, trying to get when government make policy announcements, what they really mean, what, they, what, what impact they're going to have, pressing ministers sometimes to do proper impact assessments themselves, which often they don't particularly want to do. Mm. But also, I think when, uh, when crises happen, when particular um, events like Grenfell, for example, yeah. uh, how, how is 
is a proper response going to be done? Yeah. And that shouldn't simply be ministers sitting away in an office uh, thinking about what's going to happen. Mm. I think Parliament therefore can show that we are concerned, we're interested, we recognise there's a big challenge here, mm. and that we can expose some of the things that have gone wrong uh, and also get some suggestions about what might be done to put it right in a very public way. And I think that's an important for the public to see yes. uh, that, that, that Parliament is concerned, as interested, and, and, and is going to try and get uh, proposals in place to rectify the obvious failures. Yes, I mean, I was actually a member of the committee when we had the, the, the initial Grenville um, in, inquiries, and my impression there was that some of the people from Grenville were almost surprised by their ability to attend, be there in person, and so on. Do you find um, the sort of the public's knowledge about select committees has improved over, over recent years, or is there more work to do there? Probably more work to do, um, but perhaps it has. Um, you know, I think there are only probably a small percentage of the Parliament that sit there in an evening and watch um, repeats of, of Parliamentary Select <laughs> Commissions in action. But I think one thing that Grenfell uh, illustrated was that we aren't there simply to give people a hard time. There, when we, we talk to the the victims, the families of people who died, mm. uh, and others who were campaigning on matters to get improvements to building safety. Uh, our role as a committee was to let them come and tell us yes. what they wanted, what their story was, what, what their concerns were, uh, what, you know, how they experienced that disaster, mm. and to put that out in the open, mm. and to get them to feel they had a voice to be heard, and we were going to listen. And sometimes, you know, people think, oh, you just, they see the great grillings of various um, you know, famous people. That's not how it works most of the time. No. It's trying to get people to tell us the information they want to give us. Mm. Does that come, do you think, does that come from the, the way that the committees are structured, as you said, that you've got, you're, you're going to have in any committee a majority of government bench um, MPs sitting on that, regardless of who the chair is. So it's not going to become a, a, a partisan shouting match. Yes, and, and I'm, uh, say, a Labour Member of Parliament, but I know when we come to do a committee report, and chairs have a role in that, in that uh, uh, the, the, the report, when we do a, an inquiry and collect all the evidence, we produce a report, and the initial report the committee considers, in private uh, initially, uh, is, 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 the, is the chair's draft report. But I know it's no use me writing something that simply slags the government off, because the six Conservatives are never going to vote for it. But on the basis of the evidence, if we think the government is wrong, then to highlight that in a proper considered way mm. and point out what could be done to rectify the failings, you can often get consensus on the basis of the evidence we've received. And, and a far stronger criticism. Yes. Criticism is needed because of that consensus. A absolutely. Select committee reports are not worth anything if they are split reports. Yeah. Does that, does that happen? Do you ever, um, can you issue a split report? Can you yes, you can. Right. Sometimes I think uh, uh, some of the, 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 the worst split reports were over, uh, over Brexit, mm -hmm. uh, where the committee didn't necessarily divide on party lines, but on pro and anti-Brexit. Mm. And they produced many split reports. Uh, I'd say on uh, the Select Committee I chair in 12 years, we've had one vote. Wow. Which is, I think is, you know, yeah. we, we, we've, got, we've got consensus because yeah. people want, want to find it on the basis of the evidence received. Now, you know, sometimes it is about language. Um, it can be, you know, if, if, if I might think the minister has been, you know, completely wrong. I might, uh, Labour members might want to say, uh, oh, you know, the, the minister is absolutely hopeless on this. He doesn't understand the subject and should go away and think again. Uh, but you might actually get consensus round. Uh, we think the minister has got a, a wrong appraisal of that and needs to reconsider the evidence um, and, and come back with a different view. You can phrase things in a way that people can get behind because they've heard the situation and understand it in that way. And one one of the things, I mean, you mentioned that it's not all about, you know, the sort of famous grillings and so on. And I certainly, when I was uh, part of the committee, felt that listening to those people with expert knowledge was really important. Um, how significant do you feel is that role of the expert witness to the committee? Something perhaps some of the listeners um, won't necessarily be as familiar with. Uh, I think very important and we have a whole variety of different witnesses and that's one of the uh, great strengths of select committees but on experts look we, we've done several reports about uh, building safety post Grenfell. Uh, when I began, I'm a lay person, I didn't understand uh, all the technicalities, probably still don't, all the technicalities about building regulations and, and, and construction materials, um, all the, the planning rules around it. Um, so you, you learn as you go along, but you learn from people who come and talk to you as experts, um, people who, who do this uh, on a professional basis. Experts in two ways, some who come to give evidence formally, some we actually have as our advisors. 
So we, we, another area of very complicated uh, issues is local government finance. Uh, they, they say there's, you know, there's one or two people in the world who actually <laughs> understand it. <laughs> they, they generally don't include ministers, but that's... Uh, uh, yeah. But we, we have uh, not merely expert witnesses who come um, from the local government world, for example, on local government finance, but also we have, uh, as our advisors, um, Tony Travers, who's a professor mm. uh, at the LSE, who's probably the expert on local government finance in the country you mm. go to. Uh, we have Aileen Murphy, who was at the Audit Commission, their expert on local government finance. So we have two people there who know about the subject. So any questions we've got, any concerns, we can, we can go and they brief us in advance. Yeah. So they help, help us frame the questions um, to put to ministers and others. So expertise is really important to us. Yes. Uh, and we know we, we can get it either with witnesses in front of us or with advisors at the side. And I think that's the challenge because the departmental uh, that you're, you're, you're shadowing, as it yeah. were, you're scrutinising, has a wide range of different activities. And sometimes something new comes into that department's role. Yes. Um, I mean, I think historically housing and local government never had the sort of communities aspect. No. Um, uh, which it does now. And obviously levelling up has become a particular aspect. It to has. It. But, yes. um, I mean, maybe just thinking about your current workload, um, what... What are the main subjects that you're thinking about now that, that over the next, over 2023, the committee is going to be looking at? Uh, well, we've just finished a report on the private rented sector following the government's white paper. Oh, yes. And then made some recommendations, which I think have generally been well received both by tenants and landlords, which mm -hmm. sometimes is a challenge because there, 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 yes. there are issues there. But, you know, re reasonable people on both sides, I think, can reach agreement, which is what we did as a committee uh, as well on that. Uh, we're uh, shortly going to re do a report, probably after Easter, on levelling up funding. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a big challenge, and we have challenged ministers on that. Um, you know, I think uh, the committee has said uh, in advance of Andy Street's comments about the begging bowl culture that the, yeah. all the bidding pots really don't amount to levelling up and are not going to make any proper change. Uh, and I think we have uh, put to the Secretary of State repeatedly the idea that the whole of government has to see levelling up as an objective and switch its expenditure uh, in, or in that direction to achieve it. Mm -hmm. And just look what Germany did when they levelled mm -hmm. up their country after uh, reunification uh, as a model. Uh, and it's a long-term project. This isn't going to be done in one parliament if we're going to get it right. So I think we, 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 we will have some interesting things to say following the evidence we've received there. Building safety post Grenfell is still going on. Yeah. Uh, we haven't got it right yet. Progress has been made. Some work is happening, but not enough. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be... Uh, we, we've had a private private roundtable on this occasion. The first time that the various parties, builders, constructors, product manufacturers, um, the, 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 the National Housing Federation, local government, uh, uh, leasehold representatives, have been round the table for two years. Wow. So we the first time? First time. That, that's what they told us. Uh, so we, we had a, a, a private roundtable with them to give us advice, that precisely that technical advice right. about what's happening, to put to the minister shortly. So we'll be following that issue up. So that's where you go private so that people can be candid, you've yes. got people in the room, there may be an argument between different people, but it yeah. allows them, because it's not on the record and every word yeah. can't then be taken out of context as it were, uh, people feel more, is that, is that the idea? Yes, and sometimes people feel a bit constrained when they are being... Yeah. Grilled. It's not always grilled, but at least spoken yes. to across yes. uh, a select committee table. Uh, and we just had a good conversation for two hours mm. uh, and pulled out lots of issues around that are holding things up, basically. Mm. That, that, that's the problem. People want to get on with making buildings safe. I think there's a general desire in government and everybody else. But, you know, non-qualifying leaseholders, I didn't really understand the problem, but it's a big problem, apparently. It's holding work on lots of properties. Uh, is there a difference in the, uh, the standards of work that are being required in the Building Safety Act and that which is going to be required in the agreements uh, that the developers are reaching with the Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. And apparently there is. Now the insurers who were there said, well if there is a difference we won't insure those buildings. Now that's a big problem yeah. that we need to, need yes. to identify. Uh, and the problem about uh, the various assessors going around, are, are, are they got professional indemnity insurance? That was another issue that came out. So yeah, uh, lo lots of problems. Freeholders who may not have the capital to actually, if they're at the mm. bottom of the waterfall, mm. uh, to undertake the work. Mm -hmm. uh, so so we, we pulled out of that a whole range of problems that we, will now be uh, issued to raise with the minister when he comes before us. Yes, and at its best, that's the yeah. that's the committee working as 
consultative body, an advisory body, something yeah. that's there to make legislation better, isn't it? Yes, I mean, and we've done, yeah, sometimes committees do a report and walk away and think, oh, yeah. we've done our job, that's great, we're all pleased with ourselves, get a bit of coverage on um, you know, some, some media. Uh, on, on, on building safety, we have come back over and over mm. and over again. And I think that's one of the things select committees at the best can do. They keep worrying away yeah. while ever things don't appear to be fully addressed. But one other thing that I just mentioned is planning. Uh, and if planning keeps coming round as an issue because the government <laughs> are constantly making changes to the yes. system. So we are, the government have proposed some changes to the National Planning Policy Framework, yeah. uh, which many people think is actually the heart of the planning system and directs what happens. Um, and we are going to explore this, partly because um, there are concerns that uh, what the Secretary of State is trying to do is, be, uh, is produce a system which everybody thinks is in their favour. Those who want to see 300,000 homes built, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's saying, well, actually, that's still our target. Mm. Uh, to others who don't want houses built in their constituency, he's saying, well, you've got all these brakes you can now put on it and uh, caveats in the, mm. the numbers that you are going to have to agree at local level. It can't all be right. No. So one of the things a select committee can do is to try and pull away whether whether ministers are saying things which are incompatible mm. with each other, mm. uh, and that's something that I've been talking to planners and builders about, and real concerns. Um, for example, we want to explore the recent figures from Litchfields uh, that the number of housing starts is going to drop to just over a hundred thousand in yeah. two years' time. Um, and so it's those sorts of issues. Yes. Secretary of State, you said 300,000. How do you square it with this? Mm. So that's what we can do as a committee. I think in a way you can't do with a simple question and answer across the chamber. No, I've always felt, you know, if you're in the chamber, you get one shot. And if the yeah. minister's capable enough, they can... Oh, and, uh, uh, colleagues may follow on from you in the chamber, yeah. but in the select committee. Yeah. And do you find the select committee work is willing to work as a team? Because I've often felt that watching other select committees... Sometimes people come in and they've got their individual agendas and actually the strength of the committee is when as a group you pursue the witness yeah. so that if they don't answer X's view, the next person comes in and pursues that further. That's when it's very, and I say this as a minister who's given yeah. evidence to a select committee, what you don't want people, if, you have, if you've got an awkward area, if the committee works as a whole, that's at its strength. Is that your experience? Yes, I mean sometimes it is a bit. We move on from subject to subject, and we because we've got a whole series of questions. Yes, of we come to building safety that all oh, the areas are, uh, we, we we know our problems. We want to explore them all. We don't want to forget about some of them. So that's why you tend to allocate questions in advance. But yes, and part of the job as chair actually is to spot when a witness may not have answered the mm. questions fully, mm. Uh, mm. and other members do it as well, mm. particularly members who've been on the committee quite a while, and you know, colleague Black, Bob Blackman, who's a conservative, uh, yes. but he's been on the committee as long as uh, when I've been chair, he's been a member, um, and we've worked together, and, and, and Bob will pick issues up, and, and other mm. members will as well, mm. and come in and say, well actually that's, you know, there's, there's an issue there, means you haven't fully addressed, or you've said that, but you've also said this somewhere else, and yes you can do that, and uh, part of the job of chair is to try and spot those gaps yes. and well, you're, you're, I, I should say to the listeners, having sat on the committee, uh, Clive is very good at coming in at the tail end of the thing when the minister thinks that maybe they've, maybe they've just they're getting to the exit door, but has spotted that gap. And it's, I think it's a really important skill is that ability to then come back in and not in an aggressive way. No, is this like the Colombo? Just one more thing. It's a little. Well, I hadn't thought yeah. of it in that way. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, I suppose I had a bit of fun with Lee Rowley, the the the, uh, the, the, the local government minister, the other day at the end. I mean. We're pushing him very hard because uh, Michael go very helpfully for him uh, when he appeared before the committee recently said, oh, we've asked Lee Rowley to go, as, as, as the local government minister, to go have a look at council tax. Uh, a, a review of it. Okay. Well, of course, that gave us quite a bit of uh, yes. <laughs> room manoeuvre. So, merely um, to be fair, was very good at saying, "Well, we're not, we're not really going to do any reforms in this parliament." And he was pressed pretty hard. Uh, um, and so, just at the end, as he was about, about to go, I said, "Well, yeah, but one thing the Secretary of State said uh, was that council tax is regressive. So, presumably, as that's something the government don't want—a regressive tax." Is that, is that part of your remit to look at how you can make it less progressive? <laughs> and I think you probably didn't welcome the question. No. <laughs> so you presume, on the, on the most, most ministers' standards, they'll say, well, I'm very glad you've asked me that question. Yes, yes. Desperately trying to think what the answer is. Yes. Yes. What would your response be? <laughs> we'll, 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 say, we'll respond in due course. I'd say, well, I, I take your representations clearly, uh, Chair, and I think what I'd like to do is reflect on them. Yes. Um, yes. So something like some, some sort of nonsense like that yes. to, to paddle my way out of it. But yes. anyway. So then the response is, well, can you give us a note on that? <laughs> 
yes. And that's, that's the trick, because then actually the minister's tied in, and it also nudges the department to have to act. So it's good. It's a very, it's much more effective than oral questions down on the floor. Yeah. It does seem that there's, there's the chasing the quarry, but also trying to get, you know, to work together to improve it. Yes. Do you find that, that most ministers see your role as, as a function that's there to help them, to help improve legislation, or do most of them see you as, a, as an annoyance, an opposition, um, a stumbling block? Something to make them look foolish. What's the sort of, what's the I think it varies according to the minister. Mm. Absolutely varies, uh, and I think generally the more competent the minister, the more they're prepared to engage. Mm. Um, you know, I, I will not name names about that, but there are. But he's sitting right here. I, I know. Yes. There are ministers who. who uh, yeah, I, I, I will name one. Greg Clark, when he did the initial uh, national brand policy framework, mm. he engaged with the committee. He actually stood in the chamber and said. Committee to make 25 recommendations. I'm accepting 22 of them. They've improved what I'm doing. Yeah, uh, that, yeah. that was, you know, there's another report we did. Um, I, I, I think it was on regeneration in the early days. Uh, and I asked the civil servant how long it took for the report to get from the minister's tray to the waste paper basket. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, 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 that, that, that happens. I mean, the, the, the minister just like that. And sometimes you get no report. We we did a report. I thought it was a very good report about social housing. I think it stands the test of time. A lot of people are saying now we, we're not going to build 300,000 homes in this country unless we build 90,000 social housing. We need to have uh, more input in terms of social housing grant. Um, and when the government response came, it did not mention the, that, that figure at all, the 90,000. It didn't even mention how the government was going to achieve 300,000 because we said, where are the building blocks in terms of tenure? How many are going to be built in each tenure? It wasn't even referred to. So that's disappointing when that happens. Uh, and that's still a question that, that they're being asked now. So it, it's yeah, not, it, the question it, it's, it's not gone away. It, it has not gone away and it will continue to be there as, as a challenge. And we'll keep asking the question because it's a fundamental question. And you get to three hundred thousand, yeah, it's a global total. But where in the country are they going to be built? Mm -hmm. Somebody ought to have a number for each area. And um, if the government has got that three hundred thousand, it has to know. Uh, and that's one of the problems with the MPPF consultation we'll be exploring. And it ought to know how many are going to be built by private developers, how many by the the built to rent sector, how many by social housing providers. And yeah. we, ha we haven't got any figures. And the problem is, it's because they don't want to answer that. Yeah, the, the answers may be inconvenient because maybe they don't know as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes Whitehall's ignorance or lack of data is actually more. It's not a cunning plan. It's it's they just don't have have have, oh, have have the numbers. It is, and one thing we cannot do is push on data. And we've been pushing very hard. We, 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 one of the things on levelling up we said mm. about it not just being a, a levelling up department matter, but the whole government matter. Mm. We said, can you tell us? Uh, where government spends its money in different areas. No. They, they are collecting the information now. They didn't know. Yeah, yeah that is the worrying, yeah. the gaps in, in, in information. I found that both as a minister and indeed on the, yeah. uh, on the select committee. Yeah. But, um, and with levelling up, do you feel, I mean, it's been through so many different iterations in that sense, and it's been back and forth yeah. as minis prime ministers have changed. Do you feel it's now on a more settled course? I mean, obviously you're about to look at, look at it in more detail. Yeah. I, I think the principle that we have to do something to address the massive disparities um, of, of wealth and income and everything else in, mm. in different parts of the country is recognised as an issue that needs addressing. Yeah. Now, there may be disagreements about how we address it, but some horribly stark figures. We are now more unequal in terms of uh, uh, wealth and income uh, than in, in terms of different parts of our country uh, than Germany was on reunification. Wow. Yes. Uh, I mean, and you know, that is stark. Yeah. And Germany uh, was pre unification. Yeah. yeah. And, Not and even during. But no, pre, pre uh, at the start of it. Uh, and the, our productivity levels uh, in the north of the country are now less than the Czech Republic. Wow. Uh, and that's the big challenge. It is about you know, my constituency in Sheffield. And Sheffield is not the poorest part of the north of England. Unemployment, just below, uh, uh, just above the national average. Wage levels, probably about two thirds of the national average. And that's the challenge. It's, it, it's, it's a lack of, of, of high paid, high productivity employment and how we address that fundamental. I think yeah, lots of other things can be done. You know, it's investment in transport infrastructure and skills and all those things. But that in the end is the core about how we can do something to address that. So as somebody, because of your role as chair of the committee, you've probably got the most oversight of what the department's doing about this and what the government as a whole is doing yeah. about this than anybody who's not actually within the department. So do you think they're going about it in the right way? Is this the right direction of travel? Are we talking about 
the success or failure of nuance, or is there something structurally wrong with the approach? I, I think the I think the principle is right. Mm -hmm. The overall policy objective. I think the white paper was a step forward. I think most people thought it addressed the, it, it, it raised the issues. Mm. The real problem is is the whole of government now motivated to do that. I think one of the big challenges is I put it to the Secretary and he doesn't really want to answer the question. He's actually very good at answering questions, but I could go to be fair. Uh, I think, well look, if you if you're going to address the problems of inequalities, that means you have to spend more money in the in the poorest areas that need levelling up. Now, is that money extra money that mm. the Chancellor's going to spend, or is it money being taken from the richer areas to the poor areas? It, it can't be it can't be both. It, got, it, it has to be one or the other. Yeah. It can't be neither. Mm. And both are uncomfortable decisions for government. And with the, the latest round of levelling yeah. up funding, I know you're yeah. going to be looking at levelling up funding in more detail. But with that latest round, there, there have been all sorts of um, complaints about how that was allocated, about the fact that yeah. it wasn't going to those but areas. it's totally inadequate. Bits of money that Council's bit for to uh, do a, a new uh, you know, leisure centre or to uh, tart up the high street, mm. all probably good things in themselves, are not going to significantly change uh, the, the distribution uh, of income and wealth in the country. They just, just aren't. Well, it's uh, a percentage of government spending. It's it's, it's minuscule. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just me saying. Yeah, Andy Street, who's the Conservative yeah, Mayor yeah. of the West Midlands, has said exactly the same. Um, Andy Haldane, who's been the government's advisor on mm -hmm. levelling up, came and said to the Select Committee, "I came into government believing these pots of money were relevant. I went out of government believing they were even more relevant." Now that's a paraphrasing, but he went on record saying, "Yeah, saying yeah. that." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just to weigh in on that. I mean, I strongly agree with this. The notion that. The centre gen generously doling out pots mm. on its terms yes. isn't devolution. Mm. It, what you've got to have is the confidence to say, actually, we trust the civic leaders in an mm. area with their community to make the decisions about what their priorities are and yeah. how they want to do it. Yeah. And that's, that, that is about Whitehall letting go. That's not even really about ministers. That's about departments and Whitehall saying, actually, City Hall, Town Hall should have a freedom to decide how to do these issues in the round place-based thinking. That's what it's about. It, it, it is. Uh, you know, like hold them to account. Uh, check up where they're achieving results every so often. That's absolutely fine. Uh, that should be a role of central government. But 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 trusting to get on with it. And yeah. Trusting to make mistakes sometimes. Yes. You know, because central government makes mistakes, yes. and occasionally they'll get it wrong at local yes. level. Yes. But 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 they'll probably get it. Yeah, less wrong than central government will because if civil servants in um, sat down in an office across the road uh, are trying to judge whether uh, you know, Scunthorpe High Street is more deserving than Rochdale High Street, they probably won't get the answer right. No. Yeah. Well, and I recall the regional growth fund and uh, lots of my interventions at that point. But um, <laughs> uh, when it was suddenly dropped in my lap, when it had been Nick Clegg's responsibility, and suddenly as deputy prime minister, with you know other things to do. Um, and so unpicking how all that money was meant to be distributed, you know, and you end up with a group of ministers around a committee trying to decide between uh, scheme A in Brighton and scheme B and whatever, and it's, it's in the, you can have as many tick boxes and criteria and all the rest of it, but it's not a healthy way to do things. It isn't, no. And, but it, it's, it, it's the other problem with this country. Two, you know, two the, the characteristics we have. One is we are the most unequal country in Western Europe, between different regions. And secondly, we are the most centralised. Mm. And the idea that the centre, therefore, can deal with the disparities isn't true, actually. It's the opposite. By concentrating all the power at the centre, we've actually, I think, concentrated the disparities as well. And your, your committee is looking at devolution Yes. In the future, are you? When's, when's that? We're, we're going to look at, we've been uh, taking uh, evidence about uh, spending um, on, on levelling up, uh, mm. which, yeah, and we've looked at devolution in the past, and I think we have consistently said, um, cross party, that, that m more um, power needs to be devolved to local councils and increasingly to, to mayors of combined authorities. And by uh, power, you mean money? Uh, well, they should be given the money uh, to uh, in, in invest in their areas and make the choices at local level about what works best. Mm. Uh, it can be transport infrastructure and skills, I think, are two big issues there that everyone recognises. Uh, it could be preparing uh, sites, regeneration sites for, for new housing. The whole range of issues that, that, that can be done best at local level, um, people who actually understand their areas. 
but yeah, the, the big challenge, I suppose, and the next challenge is yes, devolving the, the, devolving the ability to spend money is one thing, and it's it it has happened to some degree uh, with, with the combined authorities. Um, the government are now looking at the West Midlands and Greater Manchester mm-hmm. as pilots to take it further. It's just taking time. Yeah. Why 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 you have to do those devolutions and see how they work before anybody else can have it? I don't know. I challenged the secretary on that the other day in the chamber, and something else we'll pursue with them. But the big Did challenge you point then, you in the direction of the treasury. Um, it tends to happen sometimes. You know, <laughs> I can't go there because that's beyond my pay grade or whatever yes. is the words. But the big issue is: is the government finance? Can you devolve more responsibility for actually raising the money? Yeah. Now again, mayors and councils raise a fraction of the money in this country compared with other countries. Uh, the big problem there, of course, is back to has been so so unequal. If you you know council tax. Um, is the major way in which councils can independently raise money, but council tax raises so much more uh, for a one percent increase in Surrey than it does in Barnsley. Mm. Uh, so you know, it's a challenge about how you marry uh, an ability to do more at local level, have more power at local level, on t- raise on raising funds, but recognise the enormous disparities of, of, of income. And ability to raise the money uh, mitigates against that. Allow some, uh, I, think, yes. I think, some ability to raise money, but then do an equalisation. That's the challenge, yes. isn't it? To, to recognise that those great disparities yes. that exist. Yes. Just looking at uh, government, therefore, and how it interrelates to um, the, the select committee and any parliament as a whole. I mean, some areas, you know, particularly in climate change, the ministers have been happy to talk about things like annual updates and so on. What would be the most effective way for government to uh, report back on on issues, or is this something that you, the select committee, should be taking a lead on? Uh, well, we have an annual report from the government, but I have to say, sometimes that it obscures more things than it highlights, <laughs> and you have to really probe away to find yes. what's going on. And that's where our te- uh, that our expert advice really helps, not just from the immediate uh, advisors to the committee, but we, we have the House Commons Library, a brilliant research institution, mm-hmm. uh, and the House Commons Scrutiny Unit, and they can really dig behind some of those issues and pull them out. Yeah, I think there's a lot more government could, be, could, could do uh, in terms of uh, data on things like productivity levels across the country, um, different income levels, uh, where money is spent, you know, how much per head of population are we spending on transport in different parts of the country. Yes. The figures are uncomfortable when you read them. Mm-hmm. It's not surprising. What we're doing is actually reinforcing uh, the disparities that exist uh, in income and wealth, if you look at things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much money is being spent on skills in different parts of the country. Now, a lot of this information won't be available, but I think we ought to be challenging government to provide it. If you, if you, if you, if levelling up is going to work, you've got to see it working in practice, and, and yeah. data is going to be key to that. I think not just words from ministers, but data mm-hmm. showing what's happening. And that's definitely echoing something that the industry has been saying as well. That yes. they, they want more greater supply of data, yeah. um, greater sharing of data, and yeah. for that to be put at the heart of all of this. Yes. And, and that's something as a committee we we come back to on, on a regular basis with, with a whole range of different inquiries. You know, give, give us the information, ministers, yeah. and show mm-hmm. us what is actually happening. The different uh, tools that you have as a select committee, how do you think, looking forward, uh, they could be improved? I mean, I was always a keen advocate that more legislation should uh, it go through what we call pre-scrutiny legislation. Yes. So the select committee is able to examine the bill before it gets to the chamber, and actually, very often that teases out the problems. And so, when you finally do it, but that's that's one tool. Are there things you'd like to see the select committees have that uh, they don't have at the moment? Mm, I, I, well, I think just the tools we use. It, it isn't just about formal witnesses. So we can have private conversations. Mm. We can do, do preliminary scrutiny, and we we've done it actually on two private members' bills now. Uh, uh, Bob Blackman, who's a member of the committee, of has brought the uh, homeless prevention bill through, mm-hmm. which we, we did as an inquiry, then came back to as pre legislative scrutiny. And we've just done something on, on exempt accommodation, which is oh, absolutely yeah. shocking, the state of some of those. We were appalled mm-hmm. when we did the inquiry. Mm-hmm. I mean, people, the, I, I, yeah, they, they, they we're pretty hard on politicians on the, on the, on the select mm-hmm. committee. And some of the evidence we heard, yeah, you could see around the table, members mm-hmm. just being absolutely shocked mm-hmm. about what they heard. Now, we, we got from, on from the shop, did a report, it's then become a private member's bill now, which is in committee. We, we did pre-legislative scrutiny on, on the bill. It's a better bill. We went through a committee, there's one amendment, which I suggested to the minister, she's come back and, and done it. So we, we, we got, got a, yes. a, a, a good traction on that. So yes, that, that's important. Uh, we sometimes get engaged with the public. We did something on parks. 
and we did a, a, a sort of a, a website there, an interactive website. We have thirteen thousand um, comments and mm. interactions with the public yeah. on that. So you can get that yes. that side of it as well. But then I think eventually select committees may get a bit bolder and start putting their own amendments down to legislation. Now, yeah, I think privilege scrutiny is the best way. Yes. But we could also look at that. But that's a bit more tricky because members of the select committee are independent and they can sign up to reports that may not be in accordance with the policy of their own party. That, that's accepted. Whether that the freedom to allow select committee, committee members to go and vote for an amendment mm. which wasn't in line with their party's view in the chamber, I think is a step we haven't quite made yet. Yeah, no, I can see the difficulty of that. Yeah, is there a potential that that could also undermine the, the role of the select committee? Uh, p- potentially, um, but you know, so so I th- I, it's an interesting one. I think mm. we need more debate about that and whether committees will be seen as, as experts. So you, know, you put the amendment down because we've this is what we've agreed in committee. And this is the way forward. We've seen the problems. We, we, we found a solution to it. But I think we're a little way off that. But uh, uh, I think pre-legislative scrutiny is, is, is actually probably the, the, the way it's mo- everyone's mo- most comfortable with. Yes. Uh, the government are going to bring in legislation. We did a, 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 a very detailed report about leasehold and leasehold reform. Yeah. Uh, really complicated subject, uh, you know, with the issues about uh, rights to private property for freeholders and um, uh, other really difficult issues. And we took, yeah, we had counsel in front of us, uh, you know, legal counsel, different ones giving different advice to us, um, and it was a really interesting inquiry as well. We made a very detailed set of recommendations. The government brought a few in about new leaseholds, but existing leaseholds are the challenge. I think that when the government come forward with legislation, which by its very nature will be complicated, the Law Commission has done work as well, that would really benefit from pre-legislative scrutiny. Because yeah. it won't be an issue of great party political contention. No. It'll be getting the details right that's going to matter. Yes. And sometimes that is the critical thing with, with legislation, is getting those details right, taking it away from, as you say, the, the, the party political yeah. side. Yes. Yeah. 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 I'm fascinated by, well, your journey, I guess, how you get to the position of being chair of this select committee. Was it always a passion? Was the built environment and the, the aspects of that a, a passion of yours, or was it something that you sort of fell into? Well, I, I was a local councillor before I became an MP for 16 years. Um, I, I you know, Within two years of being a councillor, I was involved in housing matters, mm. and the council became chair of the housing committee. Uh, as it was after four years. And this so is in Sheffield? I, uh, in Sheffield, and I chaired the committee of the Association of Metropolitan Authorities, which was a national body of, of, of all the Metropolitan Councils, so I chaired that housing committee for a number of years, uh, and then became leader of the council. So I, I've always had a passion about local government, mm. and, and a belief that things are, are, many things are better done at local level, and decisions are better made at local level. And just you know, squirmed in horror at the way that the centre always tries to know best yeah, when we, when we had a Labour government, and I uh, watched the imposition of uh, council tax capping on councils, mm. and, and I thought, why am I supposed to vote to cap the council? I think it was maybe Cheltenham one year. I think. Yeah. What do I know about the finances of Cheltenham Council? Absolutely nothing. Nobody else in this chamber does as well. The minister might know a bit, but probably not very much. But we're being asked to do this. This is a nonsense, complete nonsense. Just let them put the council tax up and let the local people of Cheltenham decide whether they got it right. Yeah. Uh, 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 and, uh, I, 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 and I actually abs- spoke against and abstained on a number of votes on council tax capping. I've always felt it wrong. And I've always felt, <laughs> I used to watch with uh, the little interest. We, we had uh, Nick Rainsford and David Curry on either side of the chamber, both people who ministers and shadow ministers knew a lot about local government. Mm. And they were always passionate in favour of more powers for the councils when they were in opposition. <laughs> and constrained about giving them when yes. they were in government. Yes. Probably not through their own personal desires, but no, the, 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 the government. Yeah, system. Yes. Yeah. So it's yeah. how we can break through that, I think, is a challenge. And I've been passionate around all the way through. So then, when did you become an MP? When did that happen? That was 92. The end of a, a Conservative administration, you got five more years of that, and then yeah. Labour come into power. Did you think that you know, maybe you might want to throw your hat into the ring and take on a ministerial role? Well, I was in the Whip's office for a period of years, and perhaps I was not always uh, as conforming behind the scenes to views that uh, <laughs> uh, prevailed. I don't know. Uh, that's Just because you kept voting against local government. Well, well no, that was later on. Not as a Whip, <laughs> I didn't. Uh, but I... I you know, and I feel it's a big, my view, personal view, that the Labour government did many, many good things. Uh, and, you know, I saw people waiting for hip operations for three years and then they were waiting three months. So things like that. 
but uh, on localism they really didn't get it. I mean, yeah, they, they, they tried to micromanage local government in a way that I, you know, now there, there was there were some councils who, you know, um, had had a, a track record which was questionable. Uh, you can around Lambeth Council and one or two others. Mm -hmm. I mean, Hackney Council was a basket case at the time, uh, and you know th th there were other cases uh, of, of um, councils not being run well, and occasionally you get that now. But you have to live with that. Quite uh, 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 council asking for yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but so um, you, you you have to have some uh, final oversight, but that isn't about micromanaging, and it was it, it, it requiring councils to fill in so many tick boxes of, of, of information about this, that, and the other. Um, and no real um, letting go, no real devolution of anything at all, uh, more responsibilities down at a local level. And I think that also sucks the lifeblood um, of ingenuity and innovation out of councils as well, both at councillor level and officer level. Mm. If you are simply doing the job you're told to do on high and administering, then people who've got a passion uh, for their areas and want to want to see change, that's why people go into um, local government, uh, are, are really capable officers. Um, they, in the end, think, well, it's not for me, this job. And you lose expertise um, and, and commitment at both council and officer level. Uh, hopefully we can bring that back with more devolution and responsibility put down to local level. So, with, did you then move fairly rapidly into the, the committee system? Did you? What, what was it about about seeing how the select committees worked and the standard committees and thinking actually that's that's the avenue that I want to go down? Well, I um, I, I went on the treasury select committee actually when I first came into mm. Parliament uh, for a while, which was which was interesting, um, and. Uh, but then I, I'd always had the passion for, for, for local government. So when I left the Whip's office and came on the back benches, I thought, well, yeah, yeah select committee is something I'd really like to do. So I, I, I came on to this select committee then, in whichever name it was then, I think it was the office of <laughs> Deputy Prime Minister <laughs> course, yes, yes. Uh, at the time. Um, and then various of the iterations of it. So, yeah, and you know, that, that, that of itself was interesting. Again, uh, I, I wasn't comfortable with things like the, uh, you know, the decent home standard. Absolutely brilliant idea, the decent home standard. But the insistence that you couldn't trust councils to deliver it, mm. I found absolutely appalling. You know, I was, you know, because there was no evidence challenged um, the, the housing ministers at the time to show that housing associations were better at managing. But there was no evidence. It was just an instinct that we, you know, that ministers or government didn't like councils didn't trust them. Yeah. And I think that was really disappointing at the time. Um, so. Yeah, we had some interesting conversation with John Prescott over, over, over that. But to be fair, I mean, he brought the um, the Almo system, the, the Almo's Land Management Organisations, because many many local authority tenants would not vote to have their ownership of their property transferred to housing associations. Mm -hmm. Happened in Sheffield, mm -hmm. uh, and I remember having a conversation with John, and we, we persuaded him in the end to get the Treasury to give money, not for councils, they wouldn't do it, but arm's length organisations, which councils still own the property, yeah. were an alternative way forward. And uh, so we set them up in, in, in Sheffield, and it, and, it, and it worked for a time, yes. It was, an, it was a better alternative than the option the tenants just wouldn't have. So it was, uh, it was interesting conversations around that. But if only we'd just trust the councils a bit more, I think we'd have uh, moved things on more quickly. How is it, you've been chair of this committee yeah. um, during a period of, of a Conservative government. Yes. Um, and that that role of, of probing, whether it, it's grilling, whether it's, yeah. it feels oppositional, whether it feels collaborative, um, do you think, is that easier when you are technically from a different party? That, is that sort of less uncomfortable than maybe being on the same party? That, I don't know. Uh, I haven't done the other way. So uh, with with with, a, with 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 the government and my own political persuasion, uh, I think it's probably slightly more difficult when you are uh, when when the government is the other party because you have to be a bit careful that you aren't simply making party political points when you mm. criticise. I mean, select committees by their nature are going to criticise. Um, you know, and when you produce a report, the media will not hone on the parts where you say. Uh, oh, the government's doing a great job, that's not really media interest. They will hone on the parts where you say, there's a real problem here, it needs sorting out, and the government hasn't got it. Um, and therefore, you have to be a bit careful, you're not simply the, op uh, the opposition to the government, that's, that's somebody else. I, mean, I sometimes do um, interviews and people say, and what's the Labour Party's position? No, I'm not here to speak for the Labour Party, yeah. I'm here to speak for the Select Committee Report, which may happen to tune in on this point with Labour Party policy, 
critical of the government, but that's not why I'm here. And so you have to be a, a bit careful. And in the end, the reports have you know, signed up by a Conservative majority uh, because they have heard the evidence that something needs putting right. Mm. Do you think, does that come from that part of you that seems to be a sort of anti-centrist, that you don't want to just be following a sort of a, a directed line yeah, and because committee members generally tend to go on the committee that they're interested in. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they have a choice. They're not, they're, 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 unlike uh, many of the other committees in the House which pass secondary legislation where people have just said, go on that far for now, shut up, sit, sit there uh, and, and do the business for the, for the, for the government uh, or the opposition. Uh, select committee people go on uh, and, and have interests and views. Uh, and by and large, on you know, the, the, the select committee, our chair, deal at select committee, people have got an interest in housing matters yeah. uh, and want to see more money spent on housing, want to see uh, better regulation of housing, um, want to see uh, more houses built, uh, and, and local government want to see more powers go to the, to, to the, uh, to the centre. So just as we've had Bob Blackman, uh, got a particular passion for housing and has brought in private members' bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Lua is on the mm-hmm. committee, chairs the devolution uh, mm-hmm. all-party group, uh, and Andrew's real passionate, done a very good report there, which is in parallel with the select committee report, about how we can devolve more powers. So you know, on the Conservative side, there are people who are instinctively uh, you know, devolutionists, pro-housing, uh, and those sorts of matters. Does it give you more freedom? Well, I'm just thinking, Mark, you've, had, you've, you've sat on committees and you've also been a minister. Mm. Where did you feel that you had more freedom to actually get anything done or to, to pursue yeah. issues that you thought were important? Oh, I think the ability to pursue a particular area, the select committees are very good for that because it allows you, it's difficult as an individual MP, to have the calibre of experts uh, and being able to dip into that, so being able to do that in the with with colleagues across the house mm. is a, is a really important area. I mean, ministers, as a minister, you are able to make decisions, and that's if you're you know if you're on top of your brief and you know what you're doing, then then and you're allowed to be there long enough <coughs> as a housing minister, um, then you know that 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 is uh, very can be very satisfying. In your um, in the twelve years that you've been chair, and watching what's come across from the, the floor from ministers and, and the, the issues that you've had to scrutinise. Um, have there been any near misses, both in terms of things that should have happened and didn't and kind of fell apart that you regret, and other ones where maybe there was a policy pursued that either could have been disastrous or was disastrous? I mean, are there any like, high points and low points over that period? Um, that's a difficult one. Because it, yeah, it, it's... Uh, trying to, to think back. Um, I, I think perhaps in the first period of the coalition government, uh, the, 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 the squeeze on local government, uh, perhaps we could have highlighted a bit better because it was, in hindsight, local government had the biggest cuts of any part of the public sector. Yeah. And I think, I think we're, we're still struggling because of that. And it's set a trajectory. And, it's really uh, and social housing had the biggest cuts of all capital. Mm. And I think we're struggling because of that as well. So maybe we could have highlighted a bit more. You can't always see immediately at the time. Mm. Um, you know, we, 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 we raised it, and it was a it was a highly contentious period, of course, because you know there were big there were big political differences then about uh, the approach to public finance. So another area that uh, I, I think we, we, we did spot, but it's uh, and try and highlight, but um, yeah, I think the, the public sector didn't get to grips with very quickly uh, was the change of people's shopping habits. You know, 30% of goods are now bought online. Yeah. Yeah. The highest percentage in the world. Yes. And then we, we had yeah. a particular inquiry when you yes, were there yeah. about the high street. And I think we didn't see that coming quickly enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and almost it's allowed areas to decay. Uh, and the, the hope that some other shop will take it over, some other use will be made of a building, and it isn't. You know, it's a fundamental change about what town, city centres, even the, the, the smaller high streets are going to be about in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a, a, a big, a big issue, and that I think the public sector in general has struggled with. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a wish list of the sort of legislation or policies that you you wish had been pursued or? Oh, devolution more quickly. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we started... Yeah, we started with the the mayoral combined authorities. I think we should have uh, moved more quickly on them. Uh, I think we should give them more powers, that most have got the powers they had six or seven years ago. Um, I think they're working, so why have we got on more quickly and done it? Um, You know, is it it the department? Is it the treasury? 
Um, you know, as long as you're not quite sure, is it the fact that ministers haven't stayed there long enough to pursue uh, an agenda? And I and I just think you, you, the other aspect of that, which I think is uh, is going to be a concern in the future. And and to be fair, Greg Clark got it uh, that you're doing combined authority should do them on an economic footprint. Yeah, it's about economic absolutely. travel to work areas. Yeah. Uh, and we, we, the government have backed off in the end. Um, probably, yes, there is government in the end have backed off, uh, and have reverted back to historical local government boundaries. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I know I, I speak with passion about it because Sheffield sits uh, right at the, the, the bottom end of Yorkshire, south of Yorkshire. We've got next door North Derbyshire, North Nottinghamshire. Mm. You know, and you go to, to Chesterfield, Tromfield, works at. They, they all see Sheffield as a natural mm. focal yes. point. People go to work in Sheffield, to shop in Sheffield, to. Yeah. And yeah, so we've renovated Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire as a combined authority, and you know, the economic, it isn't the economic footprint. And if we're going to look at economic footprints, mm. then that was an opportunity missed. And Greg Clark got it absolutely, mm. and wanted to wanted to do that. And yes. sort of thinking then was pushed back from the, the local government tensions yeah. around. No, I, mean, I agree. I think something I, mean, I was involved with the LEPs, and they were based on economic areas. They had other problems, yeah. which we can, yeah. which could, could be the subject of an entire separate podcast. Yes. Uh, but, 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 but I think I think you're right. The economic areas yeah. is, is, is it has to be the defined area. Just one other thing. Mm. But yeah, the difference in witnesses. We've talked about a lot of ministers. Just two very different yes, witnesses. Yes, um, Some people came from Leeds to talk to us about the nighttime economy, and um, we asked two or three questions, and we hardly got a word out of them. They were just ordinary people from, you know, just coming mm-hmm. as a community group. Yeah. So we sat back and said, just tell us how you see it. And they sat and talked to us for 20 minutes. Because yeah. that's the committee, not to group people, just let them tell us yes. their experiences. Then we had Mike Ashley come along oh, <laughs> to talk about the high street. Uh, and he said, I don't want to answer that question. This is what I've come to talk to you about. <laughs> Actually, no, you're here to answer our questions. So how are you treating your staff, Mr. Ashley? <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, he sat towards now, he started answering the questions. So you have different witnesses. And, yeah. uh, and that's a, the select committee can be responsive to very to different... Both. Yeah, yeah. To both. No, well, that's very good. Well, you've been very responsive to our right, questions. Right, okay, yeah. I'm, as, as a minister who ran out of time, um, as a housing minister, uh, I'm aware of time, but I think mm. probably we've, we've taken enough of your time, Clive. Thank right. you very much for right. your time today. Right. I hope, I mean, I certainly found it fascinating, yeah. and it's, it, it lifted right. the lid on, on an area of Parliament, yes. which actually I think is, is far more important often than what goes on in the Chamber. Thank you very much indeed, Clive. Right. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.